Hello, and welcome to the Third Age Design Podcast, sharing essential information on senior environments. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley. This month, we've changed the podcast format so we can look back at 2022 and some of the outstanding new developments featured in our Innovation Spotlight. A few of our favorites, if you will, because these segments often create the most impact and can very directly affect the interior environment. We'll be looking at artificial sunlight, virtual reality, and much more in this year-end review. If you're a regular listener to the Third Age Design Podcast, you'll know that we always begin with a quotation, and this one is a particular goodie from the ancient Greek politician Pericles. What you leave behind is not what is engraved in stone monuments, but what is woven into the lives of others. Now, personally, I think that's gorgeous. And if, like me, you're engaged in design, support, or care for people in their third age, then you'll recognize that what you have to offer has a profound impact on the quality of life of others. And that's the very reason for this podcast, to share global information to improve senior environments. Now, in addition to the podcast, you'll find a lot more on our website at thirdage.design. And if you hit the Join Us button, you'll also receive this quarter's A Tad Extra, exclusive new information for our community members. We're in 22 countries now, so we think we must be doing something right. The Third Age Design Podcast is grateful for the support of Innova Care Concepts, whose mission is to enhance quality of life through innovation. From hydrotherapy pools to furniture, you'll find quality, aesthetics, and functionality in all unique Innova products. Innova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Okay. Let the best of the innovation spotlight begin. Back in April of this year, I asked Dr. Bushra Siddiqui of CognaDX to explain the international research that she and her partner are doing to improve dementia diagnosis and how this might eventually impact independence and interior environments. As you know, it's a pandemic that's one of the biggest global health challenges of the 21st century. And currently, from the 55 million people in the world living with dementia, it's astounding to know that 41 million of them never get a diagnosis. And that is because early-stage dementia is extremely difficult to diagnose, especially in the primary care setting. And waiting times to get a diagnosis can range from a few months to a few years due to the deceptive nature of the symptoms of dementia and how they can be confused with other conditions. So as the benefits of an early diagnosis of dementia are profound, not only for patients, but also, of course, for the carers and healthcare systems, here at CogniDX, we have developed an electronic tool that provides early-stage diagnostic and long-term care solutions for dementia. So if you will allow me to quickly give you an insight into our primary innovation. So we're approaching CogniDX with a very hybrid approach. First, we uniquely digitize and accelerate the complete, comprehensive, and fundamental procedure of history taking. And alongside that, we also provide a thorough cognitive assessment to further identify the cognition decline. Our machine learning algorithm then instantly reduces the probable dementia diagnosis down to the exact subtype in the comfort of the patient's home and sends the diagnosis instantly to the GP to take an appropriate action. 
this is still going through the doctors then. So it's not that you're remotely uh, diagnosing patients in any way and telling them what the diagnosis is. No, no, of course not. Because as you know, Laurie, communicating a diagnosis is a very controlled act. And hence, Cognitive ethically will not provide the diagnosis on screen to the patient. And instead, a detailed report will be, will be delivered immediately to the GP along, along with a complete plan of action that includes other physical and laboratory investigations to conduct to strengthen the diagnosis before they refer them to the specialist. So what sort of countries are involved in the research that you're currently doing? So currently we have done two pilots on retrospective patients in Saudi Arabia and we have a 97% accuracy rate. But because we need the product to be validated in several different demographics before we launch it, we are now embarking on a third trial on prospective patients in Oregon, USA. And in the pipeline, we have Vancouver, Canada and Singapore for trials soon as well. Right. And then I understand you're going to be setting up a follow-up sort of support service. And I think this may be where interior environments uh, might play a part. What do you think that support service will end up looking like and how can the architectural and design community participate? Yeah. So at Call Media Explorer, we're offering a holistic approach to patients with cognitive complaints. So alongside our primary diagnostic service, we will also be offering two more services. The first one is cognitive health, and that's for people diagnosed with MCI, mild cognitive impairment, which is pre-dementia phase, and how they can adjust their lifestyle to significantly delay the risk of developing dementia, specifically Alzheimer's. And then we have cognitive maintenance, which is a follow-up and maintenance of quality of life service for dementia patients in every phase of their and their carer's journey. Now, this is a service which is extremely crucial, as once the patient is diagnosed with dementia and they start their journey in the dementia pathway, Cognivex will take care of providing the patient with information and guidance on what symptoms to expect and how to deal with them, how and where to receive community support, resources at their fingertips to improve quality of life for not only them, but also their carers who burn out faster, and finally, how to consider adapting the design of the environment they live in. So it contributes positively to their well-being and reduces anxiety, confusion, and the ability to reason. Yes. So obviously we know that making sense of our environment is so crucial and paramount to health and quality of life. And a well-considered interior design can help reduce the patient's anxiety by providing cues to help people make sense of their surroundings. And research also shows that good design of the physical environment where patients will be spending most of their time in is increasingly recognized as an important aid and a treatment in caring for people with dementia and allowing them to live more independently. In addition to extensive research into dementia, 2022 really saw the application of virtual reality in care and with very exciting results. We're going to look at two of these interviews now, one from last month with Kevin Gordon of VREP in Scotland. And back in May, we discussed these innovations with Charles King of Rover Treadmills. Can you tell us, Charles, just a background of what virtual reality really means? Yeah, no, of course, Laurie. So virtual reality, or VR, is a, uh, a computer-generated three-dimensional real or imaginary environment that can be explored and interacted with by a person. 
So the person wears VR glasses and earphones, which provide complete visual and hearing immersion. And the effect is of real presence, the sense that I am here, no longer just watching this scene, but present within it. Right. Even though it is a computer-generated thing, you, you, uh, the mind takes you into that environment. Is that correct? That, that's right. You know, that, that's, our, our brains are kind of, have been described by a, a guy at MIT as kind of data processing. Your, your eyes feed the data in and your ears feed the data in, and then it, the brain kind of generates what the real world is from that. And, um, and if, you, if you present it with the right information, then the brain says, well, this must be real. And then one of the first actions we find people want to do when presented with somewhere they can walk and explore is to step forward. And uh, without safe and naturally intuitive movement, VR immersion, that, that sense of being present, is broken. Right. And it's really for this crucial reason we developed our, over several years, a kind of virtual reality treadmill. And, and so how does this work with the treadmill? What keeps you from falling off, for example? Do, and also, are you doing this totally by yourself? Are you doing it with other people? I don't understand how that all fits together. Okay, so, so to keep people safe and so they can walk forever, um, a virtual reality treadmill is, is something which is a, a platform which you can walk in any direction, so sometimes called omnidirectional treadmills. Um, you can walk in any direction forever uh, without any fear of colliding with the real world. Um, and, and the movement of the feet on the treadmill matches the movement of the feet in the virtual world. So you get a kind of one-to-one -one translation. As you move your feet, you move in the virtual world, just as you would expect. So if you can walk at three miles an hour in, the, uh, in, in real life, then you can set it up so you walk three miles an hour in, in the virtual world. Um, and, and that enables you to, to walk around and explore places. And one of the things that we... We actually discovered way back in 2016 was an extraordinary experience, um, which uh, some Minecraft uh, users would, would uh, be familiar with, certainly the children would be familiar with this, of, of playing with friends. And being able to walk around in that environment, and most Minecraft users can't do that, but we set it up so that we could, is it, 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 extraordinary. And, and being social in that environment where you can walk and explore and hide from each other and lose each other. Um, that's, so that social content suddenly became a real imperative for us, that we felt that's what's missing in VR. Yes, being able to walk freely is one, but actually the social content is really important as well. So what are some of the places that you could explore currently on the system? So we, we uh, having started with, um, with the hardware side of things, um, we then had to kind of pivot to moving away from kind of providing the hardware and the drivers, a little bit like the mouse for VR, if you will. So uh, people are lost if they don't have a mouse or a trackpad to move around on a screen. So we provided the mouse. So, so we had to pivot away from just doing the hardware, which we, which we continue to do, but also providing some content. And we were really fortunate in... in uh, in Innovate UK, a government agency, providing us with some funding and grant funding to look at uh, developing um, systems for uh, care homes, for uh, assisted living settings for older, for older people to kind of recondition them after, after COVID. And, and so we, 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 we had to start looking to how to generate um, 
places for people to go in VR because the vast majority of games are not really set up for that. And the few that are are, are kind of shooting, uh, you know, first-person shooter type games, which is not really, not really suitable for the, for the audience we're after. And actually, we wanted to do some education. So we, one of the amazing things about the technology which has happened over, the, over recent years is the ease with which one can generate um, 3D models, walkable 3D models of real places. So we have um, a couple of wonderful places down in Cornwall. Um, uh, the Minac Theatre is, is an amphitheatre on, on the Cornish coast, looking out to see spectacular views, uh, wonderful environment. Um, and we have that completely captured in VR with kind of photorealism. So you can do it by photorealism. And, and so a couple of places down in Cornwall, we're just preparing a lovely... 13th century castle here in Oxfordshire mm-hmm. to do the same. Um, we've got uh, a, a wonderful model of a place in northern Portugal. Uh, and in fact, that was the first place that uh, I and my colleagues uh, went to in, in COVID lockdowns. Everybody was locked down here in the UK in, in uh, 2020, uh, through much of 2020. And, and, and in the earlier part of that year, we, we, uh, I've got a I'm in Oxford. I have a colleague in Buckingham. I have another colleague over in Brussels, Belgium. Um, and the three of us met in northern Portugal uh, in a model of a place called Bon Jesus de Monte, which is a UNESCO site. So we, we are, we're gradually building these, these uh, places that we can visit. And of course, the, the, um, the, the, uh, the, the Revitalize, which is this, this VR treadmill system, um, when we got into some of the, uh, the, these, uh, these care settings uh, and assisted living settings, we found that people were more deconditioned. People decondition if you don't exercise. That's true for all ages, by the way. Right, it's just right. that the younger you are, the faster you recover. Um, uh, and, and what we were finding that we really needed to start at an earlier stage. Than, than putting them straight onto a treadmill. Right, and so you, I, I believe you've developed three different um, systems. I think they're called Relieve, Restore, and Revitalize. And yeah. you've, you've mentioned, you know, a lot of this is in response uh, to people um, losing a certain amount of, of, of mobility from lack of use during COVID. Can you, can you just briefly say how each of these systems, what they're meant for in terms of, of um, uh, use in, in care or with the elderly in general? Yeah, very much so. So, so Rover Restore was, was, um, was a product we were actually requested to, to build um, by one of the UK's kind of larger uh, care providers. And, and it's, um, uh, it, it, w- what, what it does is it, it provides um, uh, an introduction to VR. Uh, it's for seated, companionable, or solo three, you know, VR experiences, which are essentially 360 video or CGI. So we've generated some computer-generated, uh, and, you, and you sit, so it's, Definitely for people who may be chair or bed bound, but also just as a means of of encouraging conversations and connections and reminiscences. Um, and so, a, a good number of the people we have seen uh, are more or less stages of of, of dementia. Um, though not all, um, and and all of them, all of that group across the range, uh, enjoy being presented with new environments to look at. Uh, we can provide music or the natural sounds. Um, 
and and that is a that's a really lovely introduction to VR, and it's an introduction to wearing a VR headset, um, an introduction to being able to not just looking in one direction. We 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 find, uh, and it's not unreasonable that we, we people have been looking at TVs for such a long time <laughs> that they think they can. There's only one looking direction. Once you put it on, you just look ahead. And it comes as rather strange when they find that they can actually move their head around and the and what they see changes. It's as if they're in that real place. And we've got we've got places from around the world as well as some local you know, tourist spots in Oxfordshire as well. So so um so uh, and elsewhere in, in the UK. So, so it, that's it, it really res- is um a, an introduction to VR and and one which works very well. Uh, to getting people acclimatized to wearing a, you know, a, what these VR glasses. So that's the restore and revitalize is the is the walk around on on the 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 safely on the treadmill. What is the relieve offer? So no no. So the first one, which is the CT VR, is 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 relieve. Relieve. The, the, okay. the restore is really that bridge which bridges between being just seated and not doing anything, but looking around and and, and being immersed in an environment. And the revitalize, which is a fully ambulatory, and then we find that there's a need to get people's legs strong again. So that's one of the things that happens when, when we're seated for too long, uh, the quads deteriorate, the hamstrings uh, give out. Uh, the I, I think the the medics will call the kind of the calf muscles, the kind of the little heart, which is the thing which pumps our blood back up into the in, into the heart if if you flex your your, your calf muscles and that that helps to do that and um and how do you do that well so we you know if, if, if people can't walk then the longer they stay seated the the worse things get so the river restore is really about activating all the muscles attached to the knee and and so this is a seated but active vr experience so you you know people have gone from the gone from the relieve which they're just seated and looking around so now Placed into restore. Now this is a social environment, so they can. We've we've got three different environments presently. We're looking at another one, which would be uh, rather a, a lovely one as well, which would be walking along the rim of the Grand Canyon. So you've got some spectacular views, um, uh, and uh, and and there you're walking with a friend um, or with a you know uh, a, a caregiver, it, it, and 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 with others, and you can walk forever essentially. Um, uh, and and uh, only last week we had a, uh, a lady and gentleman in, in one of the settings we were at uh, who were competing with, with each other to see who could walk a kilometre. <laughs> well, now, these guys had never walked a kilometre uh, for the last two years, so this was a, a new experience, and, and one of them managed 800 metres, and the other one managed, managed just over a kilometre, which is pretty good. Really. Fantastic! Really good exercise, and, and unwittingly done, of course. That you know they didn't. That yes, they knew they were walking and they were trying to achieve this, but it was done while so they were chatting, and, and uh, yeah, it was really lovely to watch. As you would if you were walking outside. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it is so much easier to walk five miles if you're with a friend than if you're walking alone. Um, and I think that's you know it's that social contact that is the, uh, and that's all. Um, we have a, a wonderful medical director. You mentioned him um, at the beginning, uh, uh, Samir Gray, and and his his encouragement always is in social connection, in unwitting exercise where you can do it. At the CDC and the NHS, both advocate 150 minutes of breathless exercise each week, and that's tricky 
for many to do, ir- irrespective of age. But it, it becomes more challenging in northern winters, and you know, the weather isn't always conducive to getting out and doing that. Depending so, on where you where you are in the world. Yeah, it can if... be tougher in Canada, I suspect. Um... <laughs> also, this year we heard from Kevin Gordon of the award-winning VREP, who's taking a different approach to the use of virtual reality by allowing architects, designers, and care staff to see the world through the eyes of someone with dementia. I began by asking Kevin what response he generally gets from people trying this equipment for the first time. Just an awakening, a raising of awareness, you know, that empathetic experience, that immersive experience that VR provides and you know seeing the world through someone else's eyes is a really powerful experience and a a life-changing experience really we read and we do research about how people with dementia might experience it and i know you were working with university of sterling a bit on what some of the parameters are obviously everybody with dementia has a slightly different experience so Mm -hmm. how were you able to tie down what the virtual reality experience might be for somebody trying to look through the eyes of somebody with dementia. How did you decide what those parameters were? What we state as part of our training platform, which is a key offering that that we can uh, deliver to housing associations, NHS, care practitioners, OTs, we always state, and and there is an understanding right at the outset that this is not you know, you've met one person with dementia, you've met one person with dementia, but there are commonalities, there are common ground. You know, I mean, when we worked with the um, the academia in the early days, Laurie, they, they, they said that this is a, a game changer, you know, to be able to take all that, all that theory and immerse yourself in that environment. Now, you know, the key parameters, the key areas that you experience, that everyone experiences is contrast, is lighting, is color, is desaturation is how you know not not just dementia. It's, in fact, it's a bigger area. It's a bigger. It's a big. It's a wider challenge because it's the aged eye. You know, it's situ- glaucoma, macular degeneration. Yes. My mother and my my mother-in-law who had Alzheimer's dementia passed away sadly. I'll never forget, and I use a picture of her in my presentations. And she said to me one day, she said something's different with my eyes. She said things are different. You know the, the the patterns on the floor, the colours. This outfit I'm wearing, what color? And it was the wrong colour that she that she picked up. Now she wasn't it wasn't a colour blindness uh, issue, but it was the dementia who that was compounding that that uh, that issue, that visual issue, perceptual, spatial. The, the you know visual perceptual challenges are common, particularly across four areas of of the of the, the dementia spectrum. But it has been a it has been a, a real challenge, and the really what we're trying to do is is is, is our platform is not for sadly it's not a, a cure, and it's not for the person living with dementia, but everyone round about that person, so the families and the carers and the designers and the the, the practitioners who are looking after that person with living with dementia is to raise that awareness of the importance of good design and bad design. But it's not what you think. I mean, the the thing that struck me, because, you know, I research, I give lectures on this. I know about light reflective value differences and I know about contrast levels. And boy, ask me, I know all this stuff. When you put the virtual reality headsets on, it's not what you think. Mm -hmm. The amount of desaturation of color Mm -hmm. is shocking. 
Mm -hmm. absolutely shocking mm -hmm. it's not as if the world goes entirely into grayscale but mm -hmm. it may as well mm -hmm. the lighting level draw i mean it was it was really fundamentally changed my understanding just that one experience yeah even yeah. though i've been researching and working in this area for decades it yeah. was absolutely spectacular um, so you use this for, as you said, other people. So you use it for staff training. Is that mm -hmm. correct? That's a big, um, a really kind of important sector for us because that's that's where we've had real uh, interest. You know, is uh, raising that awareness and getting the message across to families that you know the government strategy, both England and the and and in Scotland, is to really keep people at home for as long as possible. You know, I mean, that's going to really improve the quality of life and age age well. And, you know, to be able to understand just key design changes that you can make at home to improve the quality of life, increase yes. the safety, reduce slips, trips and falls and the impact, the economic impact and, and, the, and the social impact and the, the mental impact and the physical impact of to a family. If you can um, improve that environment, make that safer and, and better quality then we have achieved a good aim so so training is is definitely a, a major area because of that impact that you experience you know it's that wow this is and and we go through some key design changes part of the training we, we hear from a lady who li who's living with dementia and she's just she's sharing uh, uh her experience of moving into another flat and uh, moving home and where she makes changes of of contrasting the light switches of contrasting of, of signage, the importance of signage, uh, the importance of green and blue and, and, and hot and cold and red and blue and, and markings on the taps, you, you know, and we, we can we can share that and, and really empathize with that and, and share that experience in VREP uh, because we have that we have that, um, that that those spaces modeled. We'll end our best of the innovation spotlight review with one of my very favorites from June of 2022. It's an interview with Carl Emanuelson about the Sunwell Group and the many benefits of natural daylight in interior environments. This dates back about 10, 12 years ago, and I've always been really into radical well-being, all aspects of well-being, in fact. So your body, your mind, your soul, your spirit, and I've also always loved the sun. So I, I read this newspaper article um, and it was, um, it was taken in a care home and it was, it, it just looked, it looked amazing. It looked, it had a tropical backdrop. It had beach lounges and you saw the care home residents sitting there enjoying sipping uh, tropical cocktails. They had hula hoops around their necks. And I was like, Please. wow, this Please. looks amazing. Not hula hoops. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> and to me, it just looked, uh, it looked, it looked a little bit gimmicky. And then I saw another article where the Swedish prime minister was letting his hair down in one of, in, in one of these installations. And then there was another article with the Swedish king. And I was like, wow, he's usually quite reserved, but he was just looking there and you saw these elderly people having a really good time. So I was intrigued and, um, and I thought, I got, I got to experience this myself. So I said to my beautiful wife, I'm going to go to Sweden. This was in the middle of the winter. And I'm going to go and experience this Swedish indoor beach. And she's usually quite supportive. So she said, all right, all right. <laughs> Off you go to Sweden <laughs> to experience this beach. Your Swedish nationality anyway, yes? 
Yes, that's yeah. true. Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, so I went over. Um, I went over and I met this Swedish in, inventor Ingemar. He's a um, super clever guy, uh, thinking uh, out of the box, and he's uh, made several innovations. Um, I don't know if you remember this movie back uh, back in the eighties, um, Back to the Future. You got dog? Yes, of course. <laughs> so imagine this guy, you know, flowing hair and uh, really inspiring. And um, and he, initially he invented this sunlight technology for Volvo and Saab to test out cars and trucks. So instead of flying them out to the Arizona desert for three months to test different sun conditions, how he affected the cars, for example, um, they wanted to do this in-house. So cars, they have wind tunnels. Now they also have uh, sun tunnels. So he invented this first. And then he, then he realized that he had a uh, positive effect on the factory workers. And they used to tell him when he come to service the, the equipment that how marvelous they felt like, uh, sitting in the sun. And then, uh, and then he caught on to an idea that, uh, wow, maybe there's, maybe there's another aspect and how, how I can use this for, for uh, well-being. And at the time, there was a lot of um, a lot of press about solariums and the negativity about too much UV, etc. So he worked together with some Swedish universities and the authorities to make it 100% safe. Um, so he even called the weather station in Mauritius because he wanted the exact sun conditions that you have when you go on a tropical beach holiday. Um, so he so he developed uh, the sunlight, and uh, over the next year or two, he invented thousands of people around to come and give feedback. And what he what he um, what he realized what is it was not just about the sun; it was also about creating a really authentic environment, so a multi-sensory environment, so sand on the floor, tropical beach drop uh, backdrops where it feels and looks exactly like you are on the beach. So you're you're wrapped around with beautiful scenery. You've got the um, the sound from the sea. You've got the the smells. You've got you got. can have sand. a fan blowing your hair if you if you want to have a, a bit of a bit of a sea breeze. And I also noticed, Carl, that there are different settings. So you can say you're in Copacabana or you can say you're in Miami and you get a slightly different kind of color sunlight experience from each of those. So in a in a care home setting for especially in in countries where there's not a lot of um, uh, natural daylight, this sense of well-being that you can just kind of tap into at any point, especially if if perhaps you don't go outside a lot or you're not particularly mobile, must have phenomenal results. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's profound, um, and especially in um, in care home settings where where you have dementia patients, they found that um, not only is it is it beneficial for their mood and it's calm and it actually protects you from from cancers and so forth because you get the vitamin D boost from the sun, but it also helps reduce anxiety and it's um, and it's massively helped them reduce. Um, reliance on on sort of calming medicines and they've reduced the number of incidents with dementia patients and so forth um, and also it brings a lot of joy and happiness and care home re residents they uh, they actually create new memories of of being on a beach holiday together and it doesn't take a big space 
it can just be uh, the equipment itself isn't enormous. You just need place for some lounge chairs. You can put a mural up on the wall or whatever, whatever it is you want. You wouldn't even necessarily need, need to do that, but having, having that light and creating a multi, as you said, a multi-sensory experience could also benefit the staff on their staff breaks, that sense of well-being. So after meeting you and having this experience personally, um, my company's working on a project right now, and we've put this forward for a staff room. That is a wonderful idea. And actually, one of the um, they did some studies on the early installations in Sweden where they actually proved that it helped reduce staff sick leave by 25%. So especially, uh, you know, shift workers, they, they hardly get to see the sun. And I have so much respect for, for care home staff because it can be a very chaotic uh, and stressful environment to work in. And to be able to go on your coffee breaks, to be able to actually sit in a nice relaxing space and, you know, build relationships with the, um, with the residents, it's, it can be so profound. Without giving, uh, you know, exact... Uh, financial figures, is there a range, a cost range that anybody listening to this, because presumably this equipment can be sent anywhere in the world um, uh, for use, so it, it has an international audience, which the podcast has. What Can you give me a guideline on what the cost is so that people would know whether or not it's it, it, it would work for them potentially? Sure. So the, the sunlight unit by itself costs around £20,000 and a fully fitted multi-sensory sunroom is around £30,000. And then okay. you get everything. And that's, that's for a space which is usually around 16 square metres where you can get four or five residents in. There will be a little space where you can have a beach bar and, uh, or maybe a couple of other chairs sitting outside of the sunlight as well. Right. But also at that kind of cost point, that could be a fundraising, a specific fundraising um, uh, event to raise money for a particular, a particular purpose. Um, because, and, and then that gives the home or whatever environment it's being used in an opportunity to market the fact that they have this technology. Yes. No, there's many examples of that where, where um, there was one care home group here in, here in the UK where they specifically got grants to install five of these sunrooms uh, from the local council to, to increase the well-being of, the, of both the staff and the, uh, and the residents. And, but actually what's, um, uh, what I really love about this is also, because I remember back in the day when, um, when I was four or five years old, I went to visit my great grandmom in, in a care home. And I, and I always used to dread going there because I was just left by myself and the adults were having a conversation. Uh, but I've, what I've seen in these installations is it actually becomes an event. So grandchildren love, actually, love to come in, into the care home because they can even bring their swimming trunks, they can sit in the sand and build sand castles, play games with their great grandparents and and he and he creates um, not only an opportunity to reminisce about past holidays together but they can they can actually create new memories together so it's so wonderful to see 
And that's our review of the Best of the Innovation Spotlight. If you'd like any additional information on any of today's innovations, you can find links on the podcast page for this episode on our website at thirdage.design. We're starting off 2023 with a bang, and I'm talking virtual, not literal fireworks, when our January guest will be Dr. Junji Huang of the University of Stirling in Scotland, talking about their Environments for Aging and Dementia Design Assessment Toolkit, which is easier pronounced as EDAT. Thank you to all of the guests represented on today's podcast, Dr. Bushra Siddiqui of CognaDX, Charles King of Rover VR, Kevin Gordon of VREP, and Carl Emanuelson representing the Sunwell Group. Thank you also to our producer Mike Scales for a wonderful 2022, to Valerie Adler of The Right Website for her tireless support, to Peter Thorne who composed our theme music and is playing the piano with Mary Blanchard on flute, and to our sponsor, Innova Care Concepts, the leading edge of healthcare. Finally, to you. Thank you for being part of an international community who believes we can improve senior environments together. I'm Laurie Pinkerton Rowley, and I do hope you'll join me for the next one. Mm-hmm.